Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates, ready to go. Outkick 360 is back. Tuesday edition is here. Glad you're with us. Alongside Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton. PK hopefully back with us tomorrow as we broadcast live right here at 6th and Peabody, downtown Nashville with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. The headlines today, of course, Georgia winning the national title last night over Alabama in Indianapolis to take home the crown for the first time since 1980. Plenty of reaction and analysis throughout the show. Outkicks Glenn Gilbo will join us coming up in 20 minutes. We'll get uh, the, the thoughts from boots on the ground, so to speak, of all of Outkick coverage of the game. Uh, we'll give our thoughts in just a moment as well. John McClain. Recaps all the news and notes over the last 24 hours, 48 hours of the National Football League. There's a lot to unpack. McLean helps us do that each and every week on Tuesdays at 4 o'clock Eastern. And then later in the show, former Georgia quarterback Hudson Mason on the program to give perspective from uh, just the, the reaction from Athens, which has to be massive. Congrats to the Bulldogs for taking home the title. All the fans who have been waiting so long uh, to be able to say Georgia is the national champion. Chad, what's up, man? It's been a long time, Hutton, since we've had the ability to say <laughs> that we both picked the correct winner in a game. Going back to outkick the tailgate, I feel like we would fall on uh, opposite sides of a game quite often, uh, but we both had Georgia winning in this game, and it's tough to be cynical about Stetson Bennett and his story in this game and where he started and not just started this season or at his in his Georgia career, but where he started in life as a diehard Georgia Bulldog fan, that this was his dream. Won the NFL, it was to be the starting quarterback of the Georgia Bulldogs, and he got to do that, and he leads them to a national championship for the first time since 1980. The 1980 jokes go away now for Georgia fans. They do. They're thrilled about that. We've seen Kirby Smart uh, time and time again since he took that job elevated recruiting to a level where they were going to be a player on the national stage. They got there quickly. They had their chance in round one of a championship game against Alabama. Of course, everyone remembers the second and 26. Devontae Smith beats them in that game in overtime. They come back. You had the moment in this game with the Stetson Bennett fumble where you're thinking the sky is falling again on Georgia. Kirby Smart can't get it done against Nick Saban. This always happens against Alabama. And Stetson Bennett, in four plays and 75 yards, goes right down the field to take the lead. They score again. They don't look back. Congratulations to Georgia. We are cynics by nature. It's tough to be cynical about Stetson Bennett and that team and Kirby Smart and what he's built there. And Hutton, we've been saying this since they beat Clemson in week one. They're just clearly the best team in America. 
the best team in America won. Alabama and what they were able to accomplish for a team that really wasn't a great Alabama team for many parts of this season, but to beat them in the SEC championship game, to get back to the national championship game was an accomplishment. But this was Georgia's season. It was it was going to be a choke job for Georgia not to win this national title. And Georgia, for once, did not Georgia this thing away. And because of that, they're champions and their fans rightfully are celebrating today. I was already, I, was, I felt like a beat writer last night where they're writing both stories ready to hit send as soon as the game's over. And in my mind, I'm thinking, what is Georgia doing with this game plan? They were extremely conservative to come out uh, of that game for about two and a half quarters, really. Um, and look, it was a defensive battle. We, we expected that. We laid that out yesterday. Um, but extremely conservative. They came out against Michigan and were, they, they out-physicaled them. They punched them in the mouth. There was more arrogance and aggression in that game than what we saw to start the national title, than what we saw in the SEC championship game. And then it was Hudson, it, it was, uh, it was everything that we saw from Stetson Bennett, Chad, that brought them back to life, that brought the swagger back. That bomb on the free play that ends up being the touchdown changed everything. And it was after the turnover. And most of the time you hear the you know, quarterback say, I wasn't going to be the reason I, I, that we lost the championship. And it, it kind of works in their favor, but they really didn't make the play. They, they steadied the, the offense and got things back on track. It was the exact opposite last night. Stetson Bennett fantastic in the second half after what was a very lackluster performance from Georgia in the first half Alabama's offense uh, they didn't have the same vertical threat and Georgia was bending but not breaking as they were only allowing field goals Bama was doing the same thing thanks in large part to the fact that I felt like Georgia wasn't coming out and trying to punch them in the mouth the way I saw in the semis and then once they scored that touchdown, there was a huge weight off the shoulders of everyone on that sideline. And I, I was contemplating this last night and saved it for the show instead of tweeting out a poll. Better storyline long-term. Kirby Smart winning the title at Georgia or Bennett winning the title at Georgia after being the walk-on five years ago, leaving, nearly going to Louisiana, when offered a scholarship to play at Georgia, decides to go back to Georgia. And then, quite frankly, the, the coaching staff did everything in their power to keep him on the bench. They brought in two other five stars after they asked him to come back. And he still made his way to the starting lineup and leads them to a national title uh, in his senior year. It's a fantastic finish. But then on the flip side, before you just automatically say it's the quarterback, here's Kirby Smart, who beats Saban, for the title, and if you look through the lineage, Bear Bryant won it six times at Alabama. Steve Spurrier won it at his alma mater in 1996. Philip Fulmer did it in 98. And now Kirby Smart is the next coach in line to win the title at the college that he attended and the college that he loves. A program guy, as we like to say on the show. Both storylines are epic. And it's what makes the the storyline overall of Georgia's season so fantastic. Well, I think my answer would be Stetson Bennett, but what you're saying about Kirby Smart is interesting because it wasn't as if Kirby Smart was some superstar player at Georgia. Right. He was a good, solid player, a starter, late in his career at safety for the Bulldogs. 
but really not a guy from some you know famous family lineage where he was going to get great coaching opportunities right away. Worked his way up from the bottom. Studied under the best coach in college football history in Nick Saban. And I think here's the key part to the Kirby Smart story, Hutton. He turned down many jobs. He had a chance to go to lesser programs than Georgia. He had a chance to get out from under the shadow of Nick Saban a few times, and he waited, he waited, he waited until he was the undoubtedly no-brainer hire for Georgia when they hired him. And they hired him because Mark Richt, a great man and a really good football coach who did a great job at Georgia, the Georgia administration, their fan base, everyone just said, this man is never going to win a national title. It's time we admit it. That's where we want this program to go. He's not going to do it. And they went out and they didn't hire a coach who'd already won a national title. They didn't hire a coach who had prior head coaching experience. They hired one of their own that studied under the GOAT in Nick Saban. Yes. And it worked where so many other Nick Saban assistants have not worked out. It took the perfect formula of Saban protege. That's their alma mater with Kirby Smart, knowing the region, great recruiter, and hiring a top-notch recruiting staff. Blend all that together. Then you have the heartbreak a few times leading up to this moment, and it got Kirby Smart and, and more importantly, Georgia, back to a national championship for the first time since 1980. So I'm with you, Hutton. Both are really good stories. I think the, I think the Stetson Bennett story is important for college football right now for this reason. Every headline is about the monetization of this sport. It's either people pissed off that players don't get paid more, mad about the amount of money that uh, is being paid in television contracts that's not going back to the student-athletes, mad about the money that's going to coaches that's way too much, mad about coaches holding schools hostage for more money, mad about quarterbacks holding schools hostage by going into the portal, whether they're going to leave or not, because they're trying to get the best possible deal. And here you have a national champion that's not a five-star quarterback that didn't transfer out, that took lump after lump after lump, who legitimately was told his entire life he's not good enough to play at this level. This is not some fabricated chip on the shoulder that you see with five-star athletes over and over. This isn't Alabama players saying they've been disrespected all year. This isn't Georgia players talking about disrespect who have been five-star athletes their whole life. This is a guy who was not a five-star. He was a two-star quarterback who won the national title. I think Stetson Bennett and this story, Hutton, came along at the perfect time for college football. College football needed a breath of fresh air. I'm not saying Georgia with more five stars than anyone else in America winning the national title is some great feel-good story that changes the course of college football and where it's headed. It doesn't. It just further cements where the game is and where it's going. But the Stetson Bennett story, that he's the starter, that they stuck with him, that he won it, I think is an important moment right now for college football that needed a breath of fresh air. Also, and they got it. Also, a breath of fresh air is the fact that two Saban protégés beat him this year. For the first time. Never seen that before. And it happened twice in this college football season. I think it's also important that Kirby Smart won the title against Bama and against Saban for the overall storyline and comparing the two just as we open the show. Because if Georgia wins the title over Cincinnati last night, the storyline is different because Kirby Smart 
always felt like he was going to get back. And Georgia will be back in moments like this with the way they're recruiting. It's just bound to happen. Um, and, and you felt like after the 2018 game, they were going to be back. But the storyline with Kirby Smart, and, and not to just I, – because I, I do agree, I think the storyline is Bennett because it's, it's fantastic in today's college football landscape. But to what, what Kirby has accomplished – you know, there were Clay has told us the story on air before about being at a it was like a pro am or a, a, a it was a fundraiser golf tournament where he's there riding in the golf cart with Kirby Smart, and there are Georgia fans, there are Bama fans, uh, college football fans that are jabbing him, mocking him, uh, whoever they're playing with, coming up to the green like, hey, how far is the putt? I can't see the ball, and they're like, oh, I, I think it's about you know twenty three feet away because they scored twenty three points in that 26-23 loss to Alabama in the national championship game. Or they would poke fun at the, oh, I think it's about 38 feet away because it has been 38 years since since Georgia won the title. Um, and it, that had to stick in his crawl a bit, right? But he kind of laughed it off, and, and Clay's told the story. like He just kind of took it in jest and moved on, knowing that he was going to get another another crack at, the, at, at winning the title. And not only that, but he does it after losing – and quite frankly, embarrassing fashion in the SEC title game compared to the standard that Georgia has set defensively all season. And then last night, they live up to it. Jamison Williams going down played a factor, but it's not the reason Georgia ends up winning that game. It's the way that Stetson Bennett stepped up in the biggest moments. And Georgia goes on to score three touchdowns in the second half. Three touchdowns in the fourth quarter last night in a game that was decided we all felt was going to be decided by a kick ultimately it's decided on the arm of Bennett who they didn't trust enough and who was on it was running for his life during the first half to do anything well remarkable storylines and Georgia you know they got back to being Georgia and it was it's amazing that they slammed the door shut Hutton with Stetson Bennett after the fumble which by the way was one of the crazier plays I've ever seen the nonchalant one-handed grab going out of bounds where clearly the player thought it was an incomplete pass and was just kind of goofing around but happened to keep a foot right in I bounds. thought it was incomplete. Yeah. I, I thought it was too, but I, I guess it was kind of coming either way. Crazy set of circumstances. But then they come back. Stetson Bennett scores the touchdown quickly. That was Stetson Bennett. They went to the air, four plays. They had the bomb 40 yards out uh, on the offsides of free play. But then it's almost as if all of the complaints about Todd Munkin and the offense of just run the ball. Just keep it simple. You have a superior offensive line. You have superior running backs. It's like the shouts of run the damn football were finally heard on that final drive. And Munkin just says, screw it. We're going to run it. And they ran it right down Alabama's throat until the 15-yard pass to Brock Bowers for the touchdown. That essentially, the eight-point lead, felt insurmountable at that point without John Mechie, Without well, Jamison Williams for Alabama, you felt like they weren't going to go down and score a touchdown. I know Georgia fans didn't feel that way until the, the interception return for a touchdown. They didn't think they were safe. But I felt like without those two 1,000-yard receivers for Alabama, they weren't going to score on that Georgia defense. Well, here's, here's where I thought Bama lost the game last night because there was a clear opportunity for them to grab the championship. They're up and they're driving and they don't have their top two wideouts. And Hall drops the, the pass that forces Bama to kick the field goal. They miss the field goal. and That's where it's blocked. Blocked, yeah. yeah. That's when the field goal's blocked. 
But right before that, there is a critical third down drop by Hall that if he catches that, they're likely scoring a touchdown, and it's 16-6, and that game's over. And instead, they get the field goal block, and we see the the finish that we saw in the second half. So for the discussion that Jamison Williams didn't play a factor, I, 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 I tend oh, to agree. I tend to agree with how Georgia's defense played, but at the same time, Williams is catching that pass, for instance, right? Like that there's there's critical moments in each game that are decided by one or two mistakes or one or two key drops. That was one. And it led to a blocked field goal instead of getting touchdowns. And again, a 10-point game felt like a 28-point lead at that point. Well, he'd already had, I think, four catches for 67 yards or something like that. And that last catch where he got hurt was a 40-yard completion. Yeah. And that was in the second quarter. I mean, he was on his way to a really, really good game uh, for Alabama, even against Georgia's defense. So it absolutely played a factor. I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, George is not winning the game if, if he stays healthy, but it's a different game. The complexion of it's different because Alabama has a chance offensively. Maybe they don't settle for a field goal on one of those drives if Jamison Williams is around after that point where he was hurt. Um, but I, I think this game was just more about. Georgia looking more like the Georgia team we saw all year the defensively where they just have a collection of absolute beasts on that in that defensive front. And I'm talking about linebackers also. And they came through time and time again. And when they needed it most, they just ran the football to take that eight-point lead. And I thought that was a huge moment where Alabama's still right there. You know, they, they're down one uh, they get the three and out. They punt it back. All they, if they could stop the run, then they're still right there in the game. And Georgia, just knowing exactly what was going to happen, could not stop it. We continue to recap Georgia's first championship in 41 years. Glenn Gilbo gives perspective. He covers the SEC for Outkick.com. He'll be with us when we return, and we'll dive deeper into the matchup last night and put in perspective what this title means, except for the trophy case. Uh, and, and the title championship that they're taking home, what it actually symbolizes in the SEC. The title's now in the SEC East. Kirby uh, has won over Saban for the first time, and they won in the championship game. Where do they go from here? What does it signal for the SEC? Or the two teams playing for the title, what does it signal moving forward for the college football playoff? Glenn Gilbo gives perspective on all of that. Straight ahead on Outkick 360. First, though, Aurora NutriScience. VitalifeScience.com is the website where you can go for all your vitamins and supplements. Aurora delivers your supplements where you need them the most. Your body. You're seeing VitalifeScience.com right now. Uh, 15% off with the code Outkick 360. You get 15% off as a discount with the code Outkick 360 at checkout at Vita, V-I-D-A, LifeScience.com. Typical pills and capsules not well absorbed, but here's Aurora, unique cutting-edge nutritional and absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes that ensure greater absorption in the body's bloodstream. I personally use the vitamin C, the vitamin D3, uh, the glutathione, but they have so many more to choose from for your benefit. Visit VitaLifeScience.com for more information. 15% off with the code OUTKICK360, VitaLifeScience.com. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody. If you're in the Nashville area, if you're in the Middle Tennessee area, if you're visiting, maybe you'll see Withrow here on Tuesday nights. Trivia every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. This dude right here to my left in studio dominates 
trivia. Well, I, I dominate trivia and I dominate gift cards. And they, you can uh, get a twenty-five uh, dollar, $50, or $100 gift card uh, from 6th and Peabody by winning trivia. I'm shocked uh, and a little bit offended that I have not been asked to host yet, Todd. Maybe that's coming. Maybe the invitation is coming. Maybe, maybe the host is intimidated to offer because they know the the history of uh, Chad Withrow and, and trivia. I have been at some trivia nights where the host gets very uncomfortable when they find out Chad Withrow's in the audience. Well, it's not you in the audience. It's, you, it's also you as the host. The, you, uh, he used to host a show called Trivia Trifecta. Yep which was uh, known well in these parts, in it's the Middle my, Tennessee area. It's my dream uh, to host a trivia game show. And uh, I made that dream come true. And Hutton, I'd like to make the dream come true a second time by hosting here at 6th and P. But how are you when you actually don't have the answers to the questions that you yourself I, are I, asking? I, I, I'm pretty good. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to claim that I'm uh, like Alex Trebek. Everybody thinks he's a genius, and he's really not. He's even admitted I don't know many of the answers. I'm okay. Like I would hold my own in a game of Jeopardy if I run. I probably yeah, wouldn't I, win. I don't know that I would doing win against some of these people there, but I, I wouldn't be a disaster. If we're doing a draft, I think I would go with. I know I would go Chad number one, and then prop. No offense to Jakob, I think I would go with Moulton, and I know Jakob better than I know Jonathan Moulton, uh, just personally and just him being around the show longer. But I think I would go with Jonathan Moulton. Do you agree or disagree, Chad? Just based on pure gut instinct for trivia. I think uh, I think Reed would be pretty good too, uh, but yeah, I, I I would slightly give Moulton the edge over the but rest. But Reed of the field. refuses to watch like um, well, Born Reed, Ultimatum because it's unrealistic. Reed would refuse to even so give a guess. Well, he'd refuse to give a guess on certain questions because yeah. of his principled stance on things. I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna entertain that question with a guess on an answer. It wasn't Born. So it Reed was, would it just Bond, he would just me. opt yes. out of certain questions. I smell an Outkick 360 trivia bowl coming on. I mean, I'm not. I look. I'm not talking trash because I think I'm good. I, I I need to be the last pick for trivia. No, Paul's the last pick. Let's be <laughs> let's be honest. Yeah, with what's I going think, on here? I think Paul would be the worst, even though he's the Ivy League educated of the group. I really think in this room right now, Paul would be last wow. in a game of trivia. I don't know. I, I I don't watch as much as Paul does uh, with uh, with the TV. Well, Maybe you, Glenn it, Gilbo. It, Maybe you, we should. You don't have to watch. You know, it could just be uh, what you've read. You know, what you know history wise. I mean, I think you'd be okay, Hutton. Glenn Gilbo joins us from Outkick.com with reaction to the championship game last night. He's been covering the SEC all season. We had the rematch of Georgia and Alabama. And Glenn, first off, thank you for joining us. And for the first time in 41 years, the Georgia Bulldogs are national champions. Kirby Smart gets the win over his mentor and Nick Saban. And we see a former walk-on hoist the college football national championship trophy. How about last night? Well, well first off, you trivia guys, y'all were talking about Alex Trebek. Like he's still alive. He he did pass away. Yeah, I I, I said the way Alex people thought Alex Trebek was a genius. But yes, okay. yes, okay. Th- thank you for bringing the show down. Glenn. Who, who's is the? <laughs> I want to remind everyone that Alex Trebek is in fact dead. Is the show is is Jeopardy back already? Oh yeah, that Mayim Bialik is hosting. Uh, I know that she's one of the hosts. They that have explains a why I haven't watched. They've got a couple different hosts. <laughs> my my uh, parents watch Jeopardy daily, and they say she's very good. My dad is an expert. Oh, that's right. He's an expert critic on the different hosts. I trust Tom. He says Aaron Rodgers and Mayan Bialik are the two best hosts that he's seen on the show. I take what I back. I take what I said back then. If Tom Withrow says it's good, it's good. 
Uh, how, was Alex the, was good. What, was he the was, game, Alex was a legend. Was he the was game good for you last night, Glenn? I thought it was a great game. It, it really was. I mean, three lead changes in the second half. It was a close game throughout. I was I was on the edge of my seat until the very end. Uh, you know, it, it was – I wasn't excited about the matchup going in because they've already played and they've played so many times in the postseason – but the game, the game really delivered. It was, it was a great game. It had twists and turns. But Alabama was going to pull it out after the uh, turnover fumble by Bent by Stetson that looked like a pass, but it wasn't. Uh, but Georgia just put the hammer down after that. It was a great game. I'm not trying to pit one versus the other here, Chad. And I had a discussion in the first segment. I brought up this question: better legacy storyline. Is it Stetson Bennett winning the championship as a former walk-on and then returning to Georgia against all odds when they recruited five stars and signed transfers to come in and play? Or is it Kirby Smart going back to where he played and taking Georgia to their first title in 41 years and being the first coach to return his alma mater championship prowess since Philip Fulmer did it in 98? Well, that's, that's three stories right there. Stetson Bennett... Georgia winning for the first time since 1980, regardless of who they beat or the circumstances. And then the third one is smart beating Nick Saban after Georgia loses to Saban seven straight times. He loses four straight times. I I think the biggest story of all those three is the fact that Saban lost, Mm -hmm. you know, and Alabama lost because they were the defending national champion and they've just run college football for so long now and it just didn't look like Kirby was going to be able to slay the dragon, but he, but he did, you know, and I, I think that's the main story. You know, and I tweeted something about this last night. I'm with you, Glenn. I thought the game was very entertaining and especially the second too, the half record. when, when it got going, uh, very entertaining, uh, you know, but I tweeted something like if you're an sec hater, you're going to say this is a boring slug fest. Exactly what, what I expected. If you're an sec lover, you're going to say, this is what great defense looks like when you've got the best athletes in America going head-to-head. It's tough to move the ball against them. Just from a, a broad perspective, as someone like you that covers the SEC, but is it good for the sport if it's going to be this? It's been this for a while, and we, we know it, but does, you know, just like we say, baseball's better when the Yankees are, are relevant and good. Football can be better in the NFL when the Cowboys are good. Does someone outside of the South need to step up and truly be in the mix every year, not just one, but multiple teams for college football to be at its best? Or is it going to be fine with Kirby Smart in Georgia, Nick Saban in Alabama, whoever's at LSU, uh, uh, Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M dominating the sport to go with Dabo Sweeney at Clemson? Well, the NFL went through some of its greatest times when Dallas wasn't even you know, in the mix. So I, I, don't, I don't buy that, and I think MLB – can be great when the Yankees aren't doing anything. I mean, goodness knows there's been whole decades when that happens. But I think it was better for college football that Georgia won last night. Um, I I think it would be better for college football if you had a team from the West uh, win a national championship. I mean, variety to me is is the thing in sports. That's how I look at it. I mean, I I really admire Saban. I I really like covering him and – you know, there's nobody like this. So when he's gone and not coaching anymore, you know, you know, you need to appreciate him now because he's not going to be around longer. But still, 
it, it's a little dull when Saban keeps winning year after year. So, so I think it, it was, it was good for the game that, you know, when Dabo beat him and, and now when, when Kirby beat him. Um, but I, I think, I think the game could be improved if, if the power started spreading around a little bit out of the SEC and it has a little bit Ohio state won, Clemson won, but it would be cool if somebody from the West got into it again. Glenn Gilbo with us from outkick.com. Uh, you can read his latest column about the offensive line for Georgia taking over. Glenn, last night, I, I, I thought through the first half and really as the second half started, there was a point where I felt like Kirby Smart was getting out coached again. And then things flipped, things changed. I think everyone nationally is pointing to the turnover and then Bennett stepping up on the possession after that. But for you, when did the game flip in Georgia's favor? When did they let the the leash off of Bennett and allow him to throw deep? And w- when did Georgia actually play Georgia-style football that we had seen all throughout the year, including against Michigan, except for that about a quarter and a half at the SEC title game? Well, I thought Georgia went into the game pretty pretty good. I mean, they, they threw the deep pass uh, that, that led to their first field goal. Um but it just wasn't working. It took a, it took the offensive line a while to get it together, and and you saw what happened in the fourth quarter. So I, I didn't really think Smart was getting out coached. Uh, I just thought it was a, a slugfest, uh, and I think the game definitely turned when um, when Jamison got hurt. You know, maybe not immediately, but a, as the game went on, you could tell those other Alabama receivers they just weren't doing the job, and Bryce was doing everything. He could do, but even if they'd have had the and Mechie too, if they'd have had both of those receivers, you could tell Alabama was had a finesse attack. They didn't want to go right at Georgia. They were doing everything on the outside, and and uh, eventually it, it it caught up with them. And Georgia just put the hammer down. They Georgia won both lines of scrimmage. That's why they won the game. And I thought Georgia, you know, they really needed the. Uh, the psychological part of Alabama, because after Alabama got that break, that that fumble, they, they were real lucky to get that call and the fumble recovery. The, the player didn't even realize he was recovering a fumble. Georgia could have just folded right then. And smart, they showed him on the sideline. He just turned around and walked backwards. It seemed like he was a fan, like, oh, here we go again. Yep. Alabama got a call and we're going to lose. And, and it looked bad right there, but Bennett had that drive that turned it around. Then George's D forced a three and out, and then they ran over him, and it was over. Yeah, and I I felt outcoach may be too strong there, but maybe it's more about Todd Munkin's mentality against uh, what we saw from from Pete Golding's defense because I felt during the first half, Alabama was doing what they did at the SEC title game, which was trying to wear down that Georgia front. There was a concerted effort to do that and then hit them over the top and hit them vertically. I did not get the same presence from Georgia and the way they approached that offensive game plan to begin the way Alabama did. And ultimately, they did run it right at them. But I thought it took a while to go into that Mahler style. Yeah, yeah. I I think what really won the game for Georgia, too, was Georgia's defense. Their pass rush was much better this time. Uh, you know, Bryce wasn't even sacked in the first Georgia game. He was sacked four times in this game and hurried 
probably every time he, he passed, he was in a hurry. It's amazing he got some of the passes off without more <laughs> being intercepted because he was getting rushed from all angles. And you, and you just didn't see that in the first game. I, I thought that was key. And and that three and out I just mentioned before the uh, touchdown that put him up 26-18, that, that was huge. Um, and I think, um, you know, even, even with uh, Jamison, I, I think Georgia probably still would have pulled it out. I thought it was really cool post game when Nick Saban made it a point before they left to say something about Bryce Young and, and Will Anderson and stop them and said, you know, one game's not going to define these guys and the type of leaders they've been for this team. And, oh, by the way, both of those guys are coming back uh, next year for Alabama. Glenn, I watch Will Anderson, and I, I think to myself, if ever there's going to be a non-offensive player quarterback to win a Heisman, maybe it's him because we all know who he is going into a season. There's no surprise with Will Anderson coming back for Alabama if they run the table next year and win a national title, what do you think about Will Anderson, the player, and the possibility that because the hype machine is going to be moving in his direction preseason, he could break the mold and, and win a Heisman as a defensive player? And we haven't seen it since Charles Woodson. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's going. I don't think a defensive player is going to win the the Heisman um, again. Um, I think Will Anderson's great, but you know that's another thing about Georgia. They they neutralized him last night. He didn't have a sack. He he didn't have any hurries. Of course, I don't think they did a great job on the hurry stat in in this game. But but uh, he was not as much of a factor as he has been in other games. So you know it was it, it was kind of slow in coming. But but Georgia's offensive game plan ended up being being very sound. Uh, I, I like how Saban tried to take some of the pressure off of of Bryce in the in the press conference for sure, um, and it was it was great what Smart and Saban said about each other in in both press conferences. You got Smart asking Saban about Jamison. <laughs> Usually don't get that, and and uh, Saban told Kirby right after the game it was picked up by Mike's. You know you 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 kicked our butt in the in the fourth quarter. You know, that's that's the thing about Nick. He always gives credit. And it's not just coach speak to to, to when he loses a game, he, he praises the other coach. And he said, God bless you to Kirby. And then he said later, you know, that it was uh if he had to lose a game, you know, he'd rather lose it to one of the guys who who coached under him and Kirby coached under him longer than anyone. So that, that was pretty cool to see all that at the end of the game. How does the game I, – I, I, I agree. I echoed what you said in the first segment uh, to begin the show, Glenn. Glenn Gilbo with us from Outkick about Jamison Williams going down. I still feel like the way Georgia played in the second half, they would have scored enough to win. They scored three touchdowns in, in, the, in the second half ultimately, and they were, they were playing more of their style and rhythm, and they were getting after the passer. But Jamison Williams' injury – ultimately, what changes in your mind? When he went down, what did you think about Bama's offense in that moment? Well, he was far and away at the time he went down. He had three or four catches for 60-something yards. Mm -hmm. he, he was on his way, and, and uh, you know, they, they couldn't cover him that well, and he catches balls in traffic. And that's what you really missed with, with these other younger receivers uh, who had not been used much all season. They, they, there were some drops that they should have had. Uh, they were targeted several times. Bryce put it right there, and you just didn't have that talent level 
that you had with with Mechie and then and then with Jamison. But uh, so, you know, I, I think it would have been a closer, even a closer game than it was. But I think in the end, you know, Georgia, their rush plan, their blitz packages, doesn't matter how open the guy is if uh, if Bryce is getting hurried in the in the passes. So I think Georgia still would have pulled it out. Yeah, and and also I, I think it just to give a stat behind just receiving yards where I think it really affects the game. Georgia had they were credited with eight passes defense. They had eight deflections last night. That's it's rare to see that in college football in a, in a pure game but extremely rare to see it against Bryce Young and the way he spins it. I mean, he threw for over 4,000 yards, won the Heisman Trophy. And with Mechie and Williams, they're getting separation. That stat alone tells you they're not getting separation against a Georgia secondary where they found separation in the first matchup in early December. Oh, no question. And here's another really telling stat. Uh, Aggie Hall, the freshman receiver, targeted eight times he caught two passes, so he's not getting separation. Uh, Jahil Billingsley targeted four times, no receptions, not not getting separation or you know coverage or or, or batted away or or a hurried pass or something, you know. So it, it was the it was the junkyard dog defense that that really came through. What do you think Kirby Smart is thinking privately? Let, let's just like let's let's assume for a moment, hypothetically, like what what emotions. Um, what history, um, what, what do you think he's thinking about moving forward? I mean, he, he's won the title. He got the second crack at Saban for the national championship uh, after losing and giving up, what was it, a 13, 12 point lead, something like that. And, the, and they led at halftime in 2018 and ultimately lost 26, 23 to get a right. second chance at it in 2021 and 2022 and win it. What do you think he was feeling as he left the podium and actually, had time to collect his thoughts. I think he wants to go to the beach, you know, <laughs> and just don't we all and, and and chill out and and you know they can do that now more so because the the, the next signing day is is really not that significant. He's already got a great class. You know? <laughs> second signing day is real anticlimactic since you got the early December date. But uh, no, I, I think he's uh, you know he's he's going to lose quite a few players. But I, I think he's just it's it's relief. You know, he, he got this one out of the way. And like he said, you know, I hope it, it's a it's a much shorter time between the, the next one from from 1980. So and you know, he's not even 50. Uh so he he can start thinking about maybe, you know, getting getting two or three. You know, once you get that first one and and you beat the the coach, the monster coach to get it, you know. So so things things can kind of get easier for for Kirby now. Final and, thing, I'm sorry. Final yeah, thing ahead. for you. Final thirty seconds. What do you think Saban's thinking? He, he's lost to two proteges this season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he's lost three national championship games. Um, I, I think uh, you know Saban doesn't think like the rest of us. <laughs> he, uh, I think he realizes. He should realize that he, he this might have been one of his greatest jobs because it was a pretty young team. They barely beat some bad teams this year, like Florida and LSU. So he should feel really good about himself and 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 his team because uh, it, it, it's a young team and they got a lot of guys coming back. So you know he's he's fine. I mean, I, I think he's probably 
probably uh, pretty happy with things after the initial shock of the loss wears off. But he he takes losses better than most any coach I've ever I've ever worked with. He certainly did last night. Glenn Gilbo, uh, one of the the best at Outkick.com for his SEC coverage. He and Trey Wallace did excellent work all fall uh, covering everything from the start of kickoff uh, to the championship game last night and beyond. Glenn, thank you so much, man. Yeah, yeah, we'll see you there. We'll see you at Clay's Beach House. (laughs) Enjoy the beach. All right, man. Glenn Gilbo has been our guest. LSU Beat Tweet is where you can find him on Twitter. The very latest uh, fallout from Black Monday with all the NFL uh, coaching changes and movement. Who's interviewing where? We've got that rundown for you uh, in just a couple of minutes. Plus, John McClain joins us in 15 minutes live on Outkick 360. If you're not interviewing or scheduled to interview with Jacksonville, Denver, or Chicago, you're probably either Josh McDaniels or you're not getting a head coaching job in 2022. Outkick 360 rolls on. Um, Chad, the list for Chicago. You're saying they're talking to everyone. uh, These are some of the longest lists I've seen. Like the Titans, whenever they hired Vrabel, interviewed three dudes. Yep. Okay, let me run through who Chicago is interviewing for head coach. Todd Bowles, who's currently the Buccaneers defensive coordinator. Brian Dayball, Bill's OC. Matt Eberflus, Colts defensive coordinator. Leslie Frazier, the Bill's defensive coordinator. Nathaniel Hackett, uh, who's also interviewing in Denver. We mentioned that yesterday. Who is the offensive coordinator for the Packers. Apparently has a great relationship with Rodgers. Byron Lefwich, the Bucks OC. Doug Peterson, who should be on many lists because he's been a head coaching free agent. He's currently not employed, but the former uh, Philadelphia Eagles head coach. And Dan Quinn, former Falcons head coach, now Cowboys defensive coordinator. That's their list so far. Um, How does Doug Peterson not have a job? Well, he decided to sit out last year. It's still weird to me that the guy won a Super Bowl. I mean, how many guys of coaching age that won a coach that won a Super Bowl recently would not I don't that's weird to me that he's unemployed I feel like someone should well that's by his that's by his own decision though like he he decided he was going to take a year off yeah I mean I'm saying I feel like it's a no-brainer for one of these teams to hire him quickly yeah and that maybe that's the case because I think Jacksonville was was also uh, interested there I'll point out Denver real quick Eric Bieniemy uh with the Chiefs Jonathan Gannon who's the defensive coordinator in Philadelphia now uh, Luke Getze, who's the quarterback's coach for Green Bay. Keep in mind, quarterback's coach can sometimes then become offensive coordinators if you're going to hire an offensive coordinator as your head coach, which would be Nathaniel Hackett, his current offensive boss in Green Bay. Uh, he's also interviewing there for that job. Aaron Glenn, the Lions defensive coordinator. Gerard Mayo, Kellen Moore, Kevin O'Connell, Dan Quinn. So those those are your that's your list for Denver, and then there's Jacksonville. Daryl Bevel, who's currently the interim, Todd Bowles, Jim Caldwell, Matt Eberflus, Byron Leftwich, Doug Peterson, Dan Quinn, Bill O'Brien, Kellen Moore. I mean, that, again, like these are deep lists. It, it's it's unusual to see so many interviews taking place. I think part of this is you can do this on Zoom. Part of this is there's not a no brainer group of coaches that are ready to be elevated. There's not that obvious answer that we've seen in past years. So you're seeing a lot of different guys get looks. 
Um, and, and who knows, maybe you get through three or four of these interviews and ultimately you make your decision and you don't end up continuing the search. Um, some of this is also they've asked for permission to interview a bunch of guys because they're also in Chicago's case and Minnesota's case. I haven't seen Minnesota's list, by the way. Um, they're also interviewing and cleaning house and going to hire a new general manager. So it's all very interesting, the, the depth that these teams are going. It's going to take a while to get through all these chats. And normally you go through about three or four and you know who, your gut feeling, you know who it is, right? Yeah. John McClain weighs in on this coming up. A lot to discuss. NFL wildcard weekend. We'll discuss Saturday, Sunday, and Monday's games. Look ahead to the storylines and openings across the NFL. And we'll discuss some storylines that maybe haven't happened yet among coaches currently employed. He's next.